live from Sin City, it's the Socks and Pinstripes Podcast. And now, here's the star of the show, Diet Dr. Griffin! Rob Manfred. This is Diet Dr. Griffin back with another episode of the Socks and Pinstripes podcast. Rob Manfred announced this week that he will not be seeking another term as commissioner of MLB, and his term will end in January of 2029. And I think I speak for most of the fans of baseball where I say good riddance. Rob Manfred has been the commissioner of baseball for the last 10 years and has about another five years to go before his time is up. He's a former lawyer and a real, real shark. He's a guy who's kicked the players' union's butt in negotiations during the past few CBAs. A lot of his moves over the years have been unpopular. He's wanted to speed up the game, instituting many, many rules over the years, including most recently the pitch clock. But he was doing things even before then with limiting the commercial breaks. And he even was the guy who took out the uh, four-pitch intentional walk where you just point the finger and the guy's now on first base instead of the uh, throwing the four pitches and thinking about it. And Bob Costas is out there reminiscing about that. And the one time that Miguel Cabrera hit one of those pitches and got a game-winning hit out of it. My old man used to remind me of that one all the time. Now, in all honesty, I'm actually a fan of the pitch clock, having seen it implemented. It's obviously driven more people to go to the games, as evidenced by ticket sales being up recently. And it's created a more streamlined experience. It's more enjoyable to watch the game on TV. It's a little faster, a little more fluid for the current group of fans that, you know, have intention deficit disorder like we all seem to have these days. Here's the thing that I think most fans don't actually realize about Rob Manfred, and that the commissioner of baseball doesn't actually work for the fans. The commissioner of baseball works for the owners. His job and his responsibility is to represent ownership and basically be their mouthpiece to handle the business of the game. He's an owner's guy. He's not out there for the players. He's not out there for the fans. Commissioners, by and large, are all the same in that capacity. They are representatives of the owners. So I think there's already a disconnect there because we think that Rob Manfred needs to represent us, the fans, and quite frankly, he doesn't. People that are out there representing the fans are really just the fans themselves. People who are out there podcasting like me and the countless of other smarter, more qualified people out there talking about this game 
and some of the dumber people. I'm not going to say that I'm a schmuck by any means, but we're the people that are representing the fans. We're us. Now, I can already say that Rob will probably kick the players' union's butts in the next set of CBA negotiations, which will come up under his term. And I don't see that changing as long as Tony the Tiger is running things for the players' union. He just doesn't seem to understand the business of baseball. And... Honestly, the more you understand about the business of baseball, the less you will dislike Rob Manfred and you'll understand how things actually work. One thing that Rob said earlier this week was that there should be a free agency period um, set limit to the amount of time that players have to sign with teams. And I'm all for this. Because baseball's free agency is one of the worst in professional sports. When you go and you look at the NBA or the NFL, all the really, really good players sign very, very quickly with their new teams. Like, a lot of them will sign nearly overnight. Like, the moment that free agency happens, like midnight, they just will have their new teams and their new contracts already set in place. And it's fast and furious. And we got a taste of that a couple years ago before the lockout. And there was this mad dash to get all of these players signed before the lockout happened. And the vast majority of the players did sign prior to the lockout. And it ended up being the biggest November signing period in the history of baseball. Mind you, this was something that was intentional on the owner's side to use in those negotiations. Right now, when you look at the free agent picture, you've still got players that are extremely talented that haven't signed with new clubs. You've got the reigning NL Cy Young Award winner Blake Snell sitting out there. Why is a player who won the Cy Young Award still a free agent in the market? Jordan Montgomery, he was a big, big reason that the Texas Rangers won the World Series last year. Why is he still out there? You got Matt Chapman, a multiple-time gold glove and platinum glove winner at third base, an excellent defensive player and a good offensive player, too. And, of course, you got Cody Bellinger, who bounced back after having a couple of injury-riddled seasons in L.A. and a former league MVP to boot. Why are these talented, talented guys not under contract anywhere? Got two words for you to answer that question. Scott Boris. Boris's playbook is to wait and wait and wait and Feast upon the desperation of owners. And that playbook doesn't seem to be working this year. Teams, by and large, seem to have already spent their money or just not going to be spending money out of concerns about their money coming in, in particular, from the RSNs. You've heard reports from the Texas Rangers who have basically said they're not going to be spending money because they're in that Bally's bankruptcy situation. The Angels, too. They're another team that's in there, and Artie's usually a guy who spends stupid money left and right. 
reports are coming out that he's going to have a lower payroll than he did last year. All of these players, with the exception of Jordan Montgomery, have qualifying offers attached to them, which will make it harder for them to sign, but I don't see that impacting someone like Blake Snell. Could possibly impact Cody Bellinger. Although I have speculated all along that Cody's going to stay with the Cubs and the Cubs can re-sign their own player without having any penalties from the qualifying offer. Now, it is still early and still pre-spring training. I remember when Bryce Harper was a free agent, he didn't sign until spring training. But pitchers and catchers are already starting to report, so the fact that Snell and Montgomery haven't signed yet is a little more alarming because they need more time to get ready than the hitters do. Speaking of pitchers, Kyle Bradish has a sprained UCL and is expected to start the season on the injured list. I hate to be a bearer of bad news, Kyle, but you're getting Tommy John surgery and you should have already gotten it. If you have a sprained UCL before the start of spring training, before pitchers and catchers coming out, it means that you were injured at the end of the previous season and you wanted to rest and rehab it on your own. But that rarely, rarely works for pitchers. And Tommy John surgery is an inevitability for everybody trying to be a pitcher at the major league level. Let me tell you about the curious case of Chris Sale. In 2019, Chris Sale signed an extension with the Red Sox for five years, $145 million. In August of 2019, he was injured and had an elbow problem. They ended his season, and they determined that he wouldn't need Tommy John surgery. Well... It turns out that he did need Tommy John surgery because rest and recovery doesn't work. And he ended up getting Tommy John surgery in March of 2020. Now, he ended up missing all of 2020, and he ended up missing half of 2021. He didn't come back until July of that year. Had he gotten the Tommy John surgery back in November, let's say, of 2019, he would have been ready to pitch at the beginning of the 2021 season. Tommy John surgery typically has a one-year recovery window, and then then oftentimes teams will be a little cautious and make sure that the players are healthy and won't work him too hard out of the gate. And that would have been plenty of time for Chris Sale, given the fact that you would have had a full year in November 2020 and then another four or five months to get ready for the next season. I truly believe that he would have come back as the better pitcher if he had gotten the Tommy John surgery on time and had a more normalized offseason to come back and recover. Now... Kyle's going to try and play through it and get a platelet-rich plasma blood thing put in. It's not going to help. He's going to still have to get Tommy John surgery at some point. It's better to just bite the bullet now and get it done. I know there's that desire to want to help your team win now because you guys are in a win-now window. But the fact is, is that 
you're going to hurt your team because you're going to be pitching poorly. Very often you'll see guys get lit up and then you find out, oh, they were trying to pitch through an injury and then they go on the injured list. It probably would have been better if they had just not tried to pitch through the injury and then brought up a healthy arm to pitch instead. Kyle Bradish is lucky enough to be a Super 2. A Super 2 is a player who has four years of arbitration instead of three. It's a complex formula based on the amount of time that they have played at the major league level and service time that they have accrued. You'll see a lot of teams manipulate people's service time so that they don't come up until the middle of June, which would prevent them from becoming a Super 2. Kyle's going to be making the league minimum this year and then have his first of four arbitration seasons starting next year. And it would probably be better if he just got the surgery than had a year without any statistical reports versus having a bad season and then getting Tommy John surgery and then missing more of next season as well. The Orioles are probably not going to be winning it all this year anyway. Their all-star closer, Phoenix Bautista, already has Tommy John surgery and is going to be out until 2025. They're relying on Craig Kimbrell to close games for them. I mean, that should eliminate them from World Series contention immediately. Trust me, kid, I'm a doctor. I know what I'm talking about. And now let's get to some of the free agency happenings that have been going on since we last talked to each other. The Giants signed outfielder Jorge Soler to a three-year, $42 million contract. That's a good payday for Mr. Soler. I'm not sure how good of a move it is for the Giants. Right-handed hitters tend to struggle at Oracle Park. It's a left-handed hitter's haven there. Soler has often been injury prone as well, though he's coming off of one of his better seasons. And of course, there are no opt-outs in this deal, so they're stuck with him for the next three years, and Soler isn't getting any younger. Jerickson Profar is back with the Padres. They need an outfielder, and they're only paying him like a million and a half, so good move for them. Nick Gordon from the Twins was traded to the Miami Marlins for Stephen Okert. I have no idea who that is. Next, the White Sox signed Mike Moustakis to a contract, and he'll get $2 million if he makes it to the big leagues. The Blue Jays signed Eduardo Escobar to a contract. He's a decent hitter, third baseman. Probably will split time there with Justin Turner unless they don't make him the full-time DH. And the Mets are still paying his contracts, so he's going to come in at a very, very cheap price. Solid move for them. Speaking of the Blue Jays, former Blue Jays outfielder slash infielder Whit Merrifield signed a contract with the Philadelphia Phillies today. I think he would be a good starting outfielder for that team and a good healthy bat that can help them out. And also, speaking of the Blue Jays once more, because they seem to be doing all of the free agency stuff right now, Margot Roby's husband, Daniel Vogelbach, signed with the Blue Jays as a D. 
DH slash bench player. Good for him. I love to see this guy run the bases like Chris Farley would. Former All-Star closer Liam Hendricks had set yesterday as his deadline to sign with the club. He's currently recovering from Tommy John surgery, and since he didn't sign with anybody, it means that he will likely sign with a team as he gets closer to his return date, which is expected for July. Hendricks is an excellent closer when he's healthy, and it was really unfortunate that he busted his butt to come back from cancer and then got Tommy John surgery within a couple of months of coming back. But uh, we're all rooting for you over here, buddy. I got to see you when you pitched in Chicago a couple years ago, and it was a total treat to see you perform. So I can't wait to see you get back out there and pitch again. You're a fiery, fiery guy. Love it. I also didn't get a chance to talk about Bobby Witt's contract extension. He signed a massive deal with the Royals. 11 years, $288 million. Now, there are also four player opt-outs in there starting in 2031 to 2034. And if somehow he doesn't exercise those opt-outs, there are also three additional club years, which I'm not sure he'll get or not at that point. But smart play for the kid. He got himself multiple opt-outs if he wants to test the free agent market once he reaches age 31. Good move for the team. The Royals are trying to build something there under their new ownership. They also released reports this week about the new stadium that they're trying to build in downtown Kansas City. Uh, Taylor once told me that she went to Kauffman Stadium and that it was not worth the experience to go and told me that I should wait until they have a new stadium. So I will be seeing you in... A few years. We'll have to see if Kansas City can get their stadium built before the Las Vegas A's get their stadium built. And that concludes this episode of the Socks and Pinstripes podcast. This is Die Dr. Griffin saying good night, 